Welcome to The Event Brew, where event professionals from different backgrounds talk about the latest, most controversial, and interesting topics dominating the minds of the industry right now. This is a candid conversation, the likes of which can only otherwise be found late at night in host hotel lobby bars during industry conferences. So relax and drop in on what event pros really say when no one else is around. This show is brought to you by Endless Events, the event management company that tells you how it really is. Now, let's brew something up. Hello, hello. Welcome to The Event Brew. I'm waiting on the intro music. I'm not hearing the intro music, so we are diving right in. This is Xander Castro. I am here with three lovely, lovely co-hosts of the episode today. We've got Mr. Will Coran. Will, how's it going today? No! I'm good. How are you? We have. I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. We've got Ariana Black. Checking Hi, in Ariana. from Big Island, Hawaii, the real Hawaii. Oh, uh, we've got those. We've got those two, two good, good Hawaii. I'll, I'm not going to say natives. Not going to say locals. We're pausing on that. We're rewinding. We've got two residents of Hawaii here today. Uh, I'm over on Honolulu, <laughs> and then we've got Nick Borelli out in Minneapolis. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Good. Dis- decidingly not on an island. The opposite of an island. Oh, opposite. Is it starting to warm up? Every man is an island, Nick. (laughs) I can see not snow. uh, So that's that's something I haven't been able to say since uh, the second week of November. Uh, So this is the first uh, melting of snow since then. I do not miss the snow. As a former Minnesotan myself, I gladly escaped the winter and the tundra that is the Midwest as a whole. So on today's episode, we are going to be talking about a Freeman report that was recently published that is addressing the fact that the average age of B2B business attendees, uh, event attendees, is going down. It's decreased from what looks like an average of 55 or somewhere in the 50s down to around 44 years old, meaning that it is uh, a shift that we're seeing that these attendees are moving to a bit of a younger age. And so we're going to dive into that topic uh, in just a second. But first, before we do that, Will, what are you drinking today? Oh, what a tease. You told them the topic, and then we bring it back to drinks. I like it. It keeps them listening. Uh, and not skipping past the drink section. Uh, I'm drinking a uh, chai latte, as I usually am, with three scoops of David Rio chai and uh, in a gigantic mug. Um, and, yeah, it tastes very delicious today, so I'm very happy. Mm, chai. I'll- I, myself, I'll interject here. I am just drinking water, and it's mostly empty because I was grinding away at some stuff right before we got started, and I did not have a chance to go gra- grab anything else to drink. So delicious water from my bright blue, I think it's Pacific Hydro Flask. Ariana, what are you drinking today? Well, it's Torture Tuesday, so uh, I have a clandestine Rockstar Pure Zero. Um, that's the luxury beverage to counteract whatever the Rockstar does to my microbiome. I have a Health Aid kombucha, and after the kombucha, I will hit the Hydra Gear cold water. It's like a three-step process. <laughs> I am all it's about process. Out. <laughs> 
You got the phases. One, one, step one, step two, step three. Uh, that is usually exactly. how I am drinking as well. My, this is my beverage roadmap. Do you go in <laughs> My coffee is, it, is now just... condensing. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good question. Is it a linear path or is it a circular path that Nick was asking? Do you, like, go through all the drinks and then come back? Or do you, like, only go through one drink at a time? It depends how the day is going. Uh, today, I can tell you that I was supposed to open the Rockstar, have one sip, and then move to water, and the Rockstar is now empty, and the water remains untouched. <laughs> Nick, how about you? What, uh, Speaking yeah, of drinking, hold me the energy drink. <laughs> yeah, I have five <laughs> drinks in front of me, but they're all, like, there's four spent cartridges, and then I'm, I'm left with uh, water because I went from mcdonald's orange juice to coffee to live live wire mountain dew to mountain dew zero to water so it's kind of like a microbiome or whatever the word phrase that you use there uh, except it's uh uh far less by design uh than that for sure i think the phrase yeah. you're looking for is toxic sludge i mean the water <laughs> is yeah i mean the mcdonald's <laughs> orange juice is probably you know it's it's probably similar to what would come from an orange uh, at some point so uh Pretty it's close. what coca cola's take on uh, orange juice has a lot of qualifications for a beverage <laughs> i mean it's orange that's really all it's got to be it's organic right yeah well i mean hmm. put a pin in that one i'm not really sure if they go that far uh but it's uh it's consumable um so far I do like a McDonald's breakfast, so. Uh, I love egg McMuffins for sure. Mm, for sure, yeah. Egg and cheese biscuit. My son's what like your, obsessed with Mc, Mc, uh, McGriddles, so he like oh, when he's uh, he's spring break, so he's uh, he he's like, can you get that for me? And I'm like, well, sure. If you're if you want that, then that means I can get whatever I want. Uh, I'll <laughs> tell you a a. Uh, a McDonald's pancake is hard to beat. It's not quite a pancake, but it's uh, <laughs> it's it's like own thing. But it's uh, it's pretty good. Uh, I think it's underrated as far as like the hierarchy of McDonald's uh, offerings go. Like you don't hear a lot of people talking about the uh, the pancake quality there, but they're they're pretty solid. They're so, very solid. They are so bready and solid mm-hmm. that they then inhabit your stomach like some form of of you don't need much life. else like mold. They're, yeah, they're a lot. You have to take a nap is what you need afterwards. Yeah, I do sometimes, so that's helpful. Uh, I get up like super. I'll get up super nap. early. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll nap. just like pass out for like yeah, make nap for like you know fifteen <laughs> minutes. I can do that. Can you guys do that? Can you, t- can you just like literally fall asleep for like fifteen minutes and then just? Get oh no, I'll be out off. for the rest of the day. You put me asleep. Uh, it's easy for me. I can get. I have yeah, never I been a napper. Yeah, I've 15, 20 minutes. like a solid awesome. hour before I can start falling asleep. And then, oh, uh, yeah, there's no way. I can't interrupt my day like that. Yeah, can't do it. Well, well, well I don't know. Speaking what, of naps. Yeah, and, and naps and habits of uh, the elderly. Let's talk about the exodus of the elderly from the <laughs> events industry. Or I was going to say, like, naps events. are, like, with little kids and little kids oh, sure. you know, taking over attendees of events. That's true, too. I don't know if they're that young. That'd be cool. <laughs> So what are we looking at here? Where, why are the uh, why are the kids coming uh, and the oldies not? I think we got to give a little bit of color to that too. Freeman is using the term; uh, they're making it up. This is not a term, so don't feel left out if you don't know this acronym. Like this is new. There, this is just Freeman making shit up. But 
NGEGs, <laughs> Next Gen Event Goers. And Freeman is defining this group as uh, as quite a bit younger, about seven years younger on average. But I also thought it was interesting that they're saying this group is more likely to be female, uh, has more demographic diversity at large, and also has higher levels of education than event goers over 45, which I found really interesting. Yeah. So like I mean, it dropped from age, it says 51 to 45. Is that right? So basically like six, seven years basically is the average age of an attendee. Seems yeah, like it. Yeah. It seems like it lines up pretty cleanly with a workforce too, because we're talking about B2B events here and these are business businesses. These are people that are attending events on the on behalf of their businesses. And so at some point you do see that retirement age out happen where people are leaving their businesses and might not be as prone to attend something that they no longer are obligated to on behalf of their company. So I think that's a pretty clear indicator that probably one of the clear indicators that there's this shift happening is that in general, the, uh, the workforce is probably... Uh, having this shift and now that we are post pandemic like you had your traditional group of folks that would come out to events that were working in a business capacity in this b2b scenario and they have made their decision to either not attend events or that they have kind of moved into that retirement capacity we won't talk about the darkest version of what possibly happened in that scenario but the younger generations that are within these workforces are probably the ones that are a little bit more apt or prone to attend these b2b events that have a higher willingness to get out there and travel as well so i think it is pretty reflective of what the workforce is probably looking like these days too it's interesting on a personal oh go on sorry just was going to recall that on a personal note, like thinking about B2B events that I attended early career, it was typically something that was offered to more junior folks as almost a reward. Like it was like, oh, we're going to send you to this show. And and they were often attended by more senior people who were like excited to go reconnect with friends. And I'm wondering if you guys agree. I'm thinking just reflectively that we're all a little bit choosier about what we leave the house for just because we got used to not having to leave the house. And I've for noticed sure. that my little brother is in industrial design and 3D printing. He's in his first like true like adult role. And they're sending him all over the place to shows because nobody else from the company wants to go. Yeah. And like and when you're younger, too, like you're if you haven't traveled a lot, you're like so all about it. You're like, oh, yeah, I don't care. I'm going to Grand Rapids, Michigan. Let's go. You know, and you know, not yes, to, Grand Rapids is lovely for anyone who lives there. But like Phoenix, Arizona, I'll make fun of my own city. Um, you know, if you if you've never been to Phoenix, you might be like excited to go. Um, and I remember like when I was younger, too, like I would take every chance I got to get travel. Right. Like I remember like trying to convince like my school ASU to pay for my flights so I could go to like entrepreneurship competitions just so I could like explore these new places. But then, you know, pandemic hits and now I'm kind of tired of traveling and now I'm kind of like, yeah, being way more picky and choosy when it comes to it. And I wonder too, like with the advent of like, uh, you know, virtual technologies and obviously the internet and probably more adoption towards using the internet versus in person, you know, we've talked about how like, you know, a lot of people don't go to conferences if it's just educational. I bet you that, 51 year old age range that you know once if it's anything like when i hit my 30s you know once you probably hit your 50s you're probably like i really don't want to get on a plane 
uh, you know, and so like it makes sense that a lot of people are probably dipping to say like I'm just not going to go. So that that late forties stage or so, people are just not showing up to conferences the way they used to. Huh? Yeah. I mean, I uh, I, I find it interesting as I'm, I'm technically like the oldest potential millennial at forty two. Uh, you know so what they I, call us? Exennials. Uh, the Elder millennials. We are the oh, elder yeah. millennials. Oh, so it means like all younger millennials like me, like basically only listen to you guys, like you are elders. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, there, there, there's a big, I mean, millennial is such a giant swath that uh, I think at treating it like it's like this massive thing. Like the reason why the numbers are, are skewed up is because Gen X is so small. Uh, so like they Gen X isn't big enough to support uh, replacement of uh, like boomers. So therefore, like the older millennials or however you term that, like end up being a part of that those numbers immediately. Uh, so then like millennials get like a foothold for for earlier and longer as far as demographics go. But like I think it's too big of a group, frankly, to like uh, really, you know, put it together like that. That's why like that everything is millennial, this millennial, that is because the, the numbers are just so huge. Um, and because of that, you get a lot of like competing data points because like the, the, the tail end of it versus the earlier are so different. Like the, between myself and someone who's in their late twenties, like there's a fair amount of difference between our, you know, habits. Uh, like I, I remember rotary phones, you know, <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's like, it's very different from a tech adoption standpoint of like, you know, when the early, the internet really came out, uh, we were you know, the early adopters as millennials, but like there's also millennials that were born into a life of like never knowing that there wasn't one. Those are huge differences when it comes to adoption. And a lot of this stuff, uh, when it comes to tech adoption, like be it virtual or not, like I'd be curious to see if you cut this in half and you would say like, okay, who are the people who are really pushing for virtual event attendance? Are they uh, also millennials, but like the, the tail end of it and Gen Z? Cause then you could look at an actual trend versus like, cutting part of it in half and you know lumping everyone together but i am interested in the fact that like i think that the friction of attending events is probably uh, uh, definitely a big part of it so like if you're senior you used to go to the events because like you had the authority but maybe they're they're acquiescing their authority or that doesn't require as many authoritative people in events like i i actually i mean the best case scenario is a more even mix because if there's not senior level decision makers at events like our events have less potency so i have a level of or, concern or the about senior it. decision makers now also younger as well well that could be too you know like so that'd be the thing i'd want to know if that was true uh like there's like there's things with these numbers that like i kind of want to know the ramifications of it like are they sending people uh to these events uh on their behalf uh, or are they empowering the people that they're sending like these are the kind of things that like make a big difference besides just people's ages like ages one you know biographic uh you know input uh, but i, I want to know more about like the decision makers and and also like maybe the titles you know like is there a diminishing level of c-suite people who are, are, are attending events now uh, that coincides with the ages, or is it simply just that the people of ages have higher positions? Don't know that. Uh, would want to know that because, like, th that's probably from a buyer perspective, from an exhibitor, sponsor, probably a metric in the B2B world that's more important than their age. A 44 year old CEO and a 65 year old CEO are both CEOs, you know, for most, you know, you would, you would treat them nearly identically. 
Uh, so uh, I, I would I would want to know those kind of things to, to you know go with this. But one one of the things that's most interesting is the fact that uh, with the return to live events uh, and the offering of of much better virtual, it seems like people under the age of forty are still interested in live events. So that's that's a pretty healthy thing overall. Oh, I have ideas on why that is. Uh, I would venture to guess that for folks who are earlier career, who are really looking to build networks at events rather than make purchasing decisions, that this is like a, an opportunity almost not to be missed because you're not getting those tangential you know, interactions on the street. But also something that I've noticed in virtual events is that it is my most junior crowd that is the least satisfied with networking, possibly because in virtual space, how do you exist? You exist as a profile. You exist as a link to your LinkedIn. You exist as the laundry list of bullet points of, of cool shit you have done that make people want to talk to you. And so if you are more junior in your career and you might have less of those bullet points, you're going to, to probably facilitate less quality interaction in a virtual networking space because you're not going to have the same sort of queue of people that are reaching out and wanting to connect. Yeah, that's a great yeah, point. I mean, I think that... When it came to virtual, like the biggest disappointment over the entire, you know, couple of years that we were forced to be in that space was uh, around not around content, but around networking. And, you know, it, I don't think that it was ever a one to one. The, the best providers of networking in the virtual space, this is just my opinion, still lagged behind the opportunities that were uh, in uh, IRL that were uh, natural and strong and, and uh, didn't. And, like I think there were certain virtual offerings for networking that, that worked in a niche case for some people, but for the average person, you know, uh, overall, I think they found it to be kind of wanting. And I think that it, it shows in the fact that the virtual events platforms are all crashing and uh, not sustaining and their, their TAM is like a, a smidge of what it used to be. Uh, and I think that's not on the content delivery side. It's on the it's on the networking side. So starving for networking. Uh, who was the most starved for networking? It's it's definitely people under forty. I mean, I, I went to a uh, PCMA and I saw a guy uh, that I'd seen uh, at shows for ten or twelve years, and he's had like five or six different co roles and companies. So no matter what company he's at, he's sent to the same shows over and over and over again. There's a diminished return for that, right? So like, I think that. Um, it's good to hear that there's people who don't already have these built-in networks that are already solid uh, that are coming into events because of demand, uh, a demand that was not met in any other arena. Uh, and if you have two years of not networking, I mean, how, how poorly equipped were they in many of their roles to not be able to have access to uh, a network for you know, two years in, in the same level of strength? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking that this is, you know, is this trend you know, sustainable at this number, don't know that, but like I can understand why it's reactionary for sure. Uh, and why somebody who's 60, who has like a rock solid network that pretty much has all the people they need for all the different things that they need already done to say, I'm good. You know, like I don't necessarily need to, you know, go out to somewhere where, you know, there's like health concerns or, or awkward travel stuff that I don't really feel like doing. Um, Meanwhile, I mean, I don't know. I think that if there's groups of people that are less less inclined to be um, swayed along those lines, it's it's younger people. I guess I just want to know if, if, if anyone here has any like number one positive, you know, reaction for the events industry from this, and, and then number one negative. 
uh, well, I think from a positive side, it gives us a little bit more of a specific idea of who our attendees are. Obviously, like, to quote Nick Borelli, you need your attendee personas. But I think that, like, in general, a lot of times we plan events for large, wide age ranges, right? Like, we got to make sure the app is easy enough that, you know, the Gen X or and beyond got it. And then we got to make sure that it's intuitive and, and that it's advanced enough for millennials and, you know, Gen Z now coming in, right? Um, so I think that's uh, one potential positive is that gives it a little bit easier planning process as well. And that was one of my questions was, uh, and we can get to this maybe later, is like where how is event planning changing now? What do we need to absolutely do now that we know that now there's been a six-year jump in age down? But, but yeah, any other positive or negatives from this? Next question's good too. You made me immediately reflect on like – have I considered age before even as a factor? I mean, the ways that I'm thinking about my attendees and, and I can say that like all of my events are specifically run for product managers who are a group that are extremely tech savvy that, that have a certain sort of approach to things in a shared language. So I don't, I can't say that I've really considered age as much as experience level and how to optimize networking for experience level. And so it's got me thinking about, do I need to look at some of these attendee demographics in new ways as we move forward? Yeah, I wouldn't really say it's a positive or a negative, but I'm in a similar boat where it hasn't really been a major consideration for most of the programming that I've done, where you just have a certain perspective of who your audience is on whole and what their capabilities are and what their interests are and what their appetite for change is. And so there may be an interesting scenario where you do see the opportunity to make changes and adjustments that are optimized for something new, something different that has a tighter reach on or a closer reach to this kind of NGEG category of attendee that is a positive and it is an opportunity that you can start exploring. But I think that a lot of organizers are probably trying to be a bit more on the generalist side of things where you're trying to create experiences. You want to have experiences that touch people closely uh, to what they are looking for out of your events, what they need from your events, the reason that they are choosing to attend, but the opportunity to... Usually you're looking at that from a perspective of as broadly as possible to kind of speak to as many people as you can through a singular or focused set of messages and experiences rather than having such a specific touch point on each. And the flip side of that is maybe that is something that is going to need to change given the the experience of this younger generation of attendees of having a more curated and nuanced delivery of content or delivery of experiences that they have been able to have throughout their entire lives by having a phone at their within their grasp for the entirety of their existence like this younger generation's entire life has been influenced by the fact that anything that they want from a knowledge perspective theoretically is is at the is within arm's reach and so there's there are 
lived experiences that probably need to be addressed and catered towards on the with this shift that's happened but i do think that there is a bit of a generalist approach to event production and and, and designing events that that there's i don't anticipate the planner's perspective changing changing too much with this in mind because we try to curate things towards uh, as wide but as focused of a population as possible within our attendee bases. Maybe not so, with this in mind, though. Nick, I got to tag on to something you said earlier because sure. I want you to talk more about it, which was um, the does their age matter it, or is it more interesting? Do they have decision making power and what are, have the titles changed? Because I'm like, do I even care about age? Yeah, I mean, so. First off, if you can get more data, uh, you know, generally speaking on personas, the more you have, the the more clearer picture you have. Like treating, I, I use this example frequently of, uh, so Corbin Ball, I, I talk about him. I'm like, okay, uh, so based on our, our, our demographics, our, our biological, you know, like let's go by age, uh, you know, I'm a 42-year-old person in the events industry with interest in technology, and he's a, let's call him 60-year-old you know, uh, year old. Uh, guy who is uh, in the same category, right? Um, you know, so by nature or by de- by demos, I would know more and be more, you know, inclined to adopt new technologies, et cetera. Except that's not true. He knows ten times as much about technology as I do, uh, and I go to him for that. So um, the but reality the is, question is if is Corbin the exception to the rule, not necessarily the rule. Well, the thing is, is if you were to look at like some more like specifics of his, you know, interests and like where he goes and other other uh, things that would reveal, he'd be found out, you know, like where does he spend his time? Where does he get his Mm -hmm. information, uh, et cetera? Like if you had deeper uh, questions uh, around that, then or even his title, et cetera, you would you would say, oh, okay, great. This is this is more likely to be somebody that would know something than I would be. like he'd be an event technologist, uh, consultant, or technology consultant, and I would be a marketing uh, a person, and therefore, you know, like it would be likely that you know, so it, it it would reveal itself eventually. But if you go on these base level things, like you end up, you know, making assumptions. Now, the median is more more likely to be correct than not, uh, but you 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 get a lot of. I mean, the, the percentage of outlier data ends up being pretty high if you go with big swaths of people. So, like, knowing those other information, like, you know, going to, you know, like, another layer of this with Freeman potentially could be uh, titles, and then that would reveal a lot. Um, one of the things that they said in this report is that the biggest uh, opportunity you have on understanding uh, age-based demographics is uh, the, the that generation's needs uh, and expectations uh, because of what they think is... Uh, a given, uh, and other people have been able to, you know, have so many built-up experiences of, well, it's not there, therefore it's nice when it's there, but if it's not, it's not, and just not being, in, you know, being very flexible to things that aren't there versus, uh, you know, younger generations who have expectations of this being the baseline. So an example is personalization as, as one. Uh, younger demographics generally prefer increased amount of personalization, less shotgun approach, less one size fits all, and more of curation when it comes to uh, the content uh, and and the specifics. So that's a generalized statement. However, 
uh, if you're you know in a decision making process and you're between one thing and another. Uh, these kind of generalizations, you know, can be useful. It's like, hey, okay, did we meet our mandate to increase our amount of um, personalization? So it's not necessarily like a one size fits all, uh, or it's not necessarily one or the other. It's it's can we make an increase because the this group is increased uh, has a needs for that. So it's not a one hundred percent. Let's throw out everything we've done, but like let's steadily increase in these areas because these seem to resonate and then you know as if you're a good planner you're also looking at your data to determine if this is true i'm sure there are plenty of industries where these are um very very important other industries where they're less important so like i think that really understanding your audience is a big deal like manufacturers or like farming associations versus tech companies probably a huge difference in expectations around these things or, or or like prioritization over one versus the other uh, or if organizations or, or associations are really, really specific in how everyone is in those groups, uh, then the, the prevailing like broad demographic based uh, insights would be less valuable than it would be just that group. Like this group, no matter what age they are, cares about innovation. You know, if it's a tech company uh, and versus, you know, uh, you know, some some other equivalent on the other side. Uh, so, like, I think that the professional development and the networking, I think that it has to be increasingly personalized because that's, I think, what's driving people in these sectors to go here in the first place. Like, it's I would say I, I, I would be less concerned about changing my content parameters uh, and more concerned about uh, making my networking maybe more approachable. Because the other thing that this report sussed out is the fact that there's increased diversity and increased uh, amounts of uh, female uh, attendees. So uh, another level would be to say, let's reevaluate and like look at what we've done in the past as as primarily been hyper focused on one demographic, i.e., you know, let's call them males, uh, and say, did we leave people out? Did we did we design? with uh, a, a, per a persona in mind that was very specific because now it's it's more uh, of opportunities for other groups of people who are underserved and like let's see if we can make our designs more inclusive because inclusivity uh, is not only something that is an expectation generationally but also uh, with the broader demographics that are now uh, coming towards events I think it should be probably the biggest change you make in your in your event scheme is to say, let's bring other voices in into the room when it comes to design, so they re are reflected in in how we uh, approach the uh, event itself. Uh, I just I want I, up to you. I I I, <laughs> I think it's a good point. Uh, one uh, just uh, sorry, I I got curious when you brought up this point about the idea about buyers. Um, so uh, this article is related to tech buyers specifically, but I found an article on trust rate is called how to sell to millennial B2B buyers. Um, and it basically states, and you know, you could probably give this plus or minus 10%, but basically 60% of B2B tech buyers are 20 in 2021 are millennials. It's probably increased more since 2021, since probably more people are like, I'm done. Pandemic was enough for me. I'm retiring, you know, but you know, I, this was shocking to me that like, there are so many people buyers now that are millennials so it's like you know it's almost like atten if attendees are skewing towards still partially gen x because it's like 198 basically from like 1971 to 1980 kind of shift like 
we're basically hitting this point where like millennials are going to be the predominant attendance for for both buyers and also attendees of events too. You have a really interesting. There's a point on here that really speaks to how we might coach our expo folks, and it's you know that out of all the resources that millennial buyers use, uh, vendor reps and materials are the least trustworthy and influential. And you know, and I I know for me, like as when I'm making purchasing decisions, it's like if the information is not out there on the website, I am not going to talk to a rep. I'm not like unless I the thing that you offer is so important that I cannot get it anywhere else and then I will still research the shit out of you on G2 and Captera and all the other places and call yeah. everyone I know in the industry before I will talk to a rep. Right. You know cuz I've been shown a million demos on PowerPoint of a thing that doesn't actually exist yet. So I think I think that maybe there's something here around all right, so maybe buyers are buying in a different way, and maybe we need to shift event design around more thought leadership for these vendors and and, and less of this, like, hey, meet a rep in the expo hall. And the other, yeah. I just was going to say the other thing that comes up to what, uh, to what Will had mentioned, or maybe it was you, Nick, is that, yeah, it says increasingly these are more and more females who are also mindful of, other obligations so my first thought there is like what can we do for accessibility is like make events shorter go to half days instead of full days like think about where we can condense and make this more accessible for folks that might be very short on time or how can we localize more of these experiences and not necessarily require you to drop everything get on a plane and go to san francisco but how can we do satellite and hybrid situations in which we can bring elements of the in-person on site in ways that go to communities where they're at Yeah, I, just to talk back to your comments around kind of that buying experience and whether or not that potentially influences design. I think one of the things that we see a lot of is that appetite for trial, for experimentation, for buyers to actually get their hands a little bit dirty and experience the product itself versus being instructed or being demoed out. I think you see a whole lot of kinesthetic learners on the kind of earlier generation stage versus people who have been instructed or told in their either um, auditory learning capacity or in their visual learning capacity. And so that actual doing process is something that I, a lot of people, at least, I'm just using me as an example. I have done a lot of this where I just really like to play around with the products that I am engaging with. And so it's almost like thinking about your event as a bit of a playground versus a destination that you are being sold to as in the capacity of, of being a buyer. Um, where if you are able to kind of shape your event around more of a tactical experience that allows you to to get your hands in the sand and play around with what it is you are out there buying um, I, I agree that for me to hop on a call with an actual rep to actually make a purchase is a non-starter like if I cannot go to your website and find the price point for either your trial product or your a free trial of the plan I don't even necessarily need to know what the price is before I'm going to launch a free trial and that's something that we see in the industry that I plan events for is that that starting point of just getting in on a free trial and experimenting and playing around to determine whether or not you can make that purchase is like 60%, 70% of products that are doing most successfully have that as an option for you to test out. And so 
it's interesting to think about that as how it applies to events as well. If you're going to kind of nurture this, this category of attendee to kind of design with that in mind, I think you see at trade shows, people try to do that all the time where they will bring out the largest version of the potential product that they're going to test out. And you can just watch a dynamo that cycles through, but the actual, the, 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 the act, the active process of learning through touches, I think something that might end up appealing to this, at this stage of attendee as well. I'll agree with that too. Like I definitely like when it comes to utilizing tools, like if there's no free tile, I'm like, F you, I'm not going to even use this, you know? So I'm, I'm definitely there with you for sure. Though Xander, I will call you out. There was, I, there's been studies that uh, like the different learning styles is actually totally made up that like, sure. yeah, you know, but you can still have a preference. I think in a way that you go, <laughs> it's not, the, not the worst Worst, I mean, people will self-select the format in terms of content that they prefer to learn from. And so, yes, the idea of teaching two specific learning styles is maybe less palatable, or the studies do say that it is not a more effective path towards learning in an in institutional setting. But we run past the format with which people prefer to consume content on our end and have seen market increases in engagement with us delivering the specific format of content that they prefer. So if you prefer a podcast or audio recording and you state that, we are going to deliver that content to you in that format. And the engagement levels and interaction levels with those pieces of content are going to increase. And that in and of itself is indicative of a buying decision or a consumer choice that is going to push an individual to make a decision more than being handed down an experience such as being demoed in a sales booth at a trade show when you have a different preference of consumption what what and it gave me an idea as far as what you guys were talking about about like the idea that like maybe like yeah exhibit halls and being sold to is really going out of fashion in some ways um you know, it's one thing I don't really see at a lot of events is like the chance to expand and have conversations with the speakers that are like going to be there. Like in all the events I speak at, I know that I don't get a chance to answer everybody's questions. And I'm sure I've generated thoughts beyond that. And I always try to like stick around and come to have people come up to the stage and ask me additional questions. But like, I feel like there's much more of a need for like, instead of an exhibit hall, like table set up where like all the speakers are there right after they're done speaking or maybe there's a speaker networking time or something like that and all the speakers are in one spot and you have a chance to go up and ask questions and have conversations with them or something like that i feel like i would personally as an attendee i'd get more value from it as a speaker i get more value from it and i mean obviously if there's uh sponsor driven content as well it also gives me a chance to get that kind of exhibit level conversation if necessary one of the things that we're doing this year is because I also have really heard this call for more engagement with the speakers and for more almost hosted roundtable discussions is that we're pairing all of our stage segments with a follow-up hosted roundtable that's hosted by a speaker. Um, some of them are sponsor opportunities and they're essentially not a Q&A. They're not necessarily directly linked to what happened on stage, but hey, here's this expert in this field who wants to hold a conversation on this topic. Because I think that we are really going to have to answer the, everybody, we've all gotten used to being able to make a comment and chat and have the host read it back to us. We've all gotten used to being a part of the show. Like we are a part of the show now and in digital space really leveled to that front row experience. 
and it leveled the VIP experience and it, we all got sort of a front row seat. And I think that we need to find ways to translate that into on-site events as well. I think personalization I like is just not going away. And I think that that's probably one of the biggest elements of all of this is that, you know, in inclusivity and personalization, if you could like merge them together or, you know, consider them two different strategies, I think those are the strategies that moving forward, regardless, uh, are going to be successful. I think that this new group of attendees, wherever you want to call it, uh, doesn't mean that it, they're asking for things that people don't already want. I think they're just willing to fight for it or they're willing to uh, have uh, this be their preference. I think these are these are positive net gains for everyone. I, think, I don't think if you ask people above the age of 50, hey, do you want you know more or less personalization, that they're going to say less. I just think that they're willing to put up with more. So like, I think in the, in the competitive landscape of uh, markets that uh, the ones who uh, focus on um, the networking solutions focus on personalization and focus on uh, increased amount of uh, sense of belonging and equity for their uh, you know increasingly diverse audiences I think those are the ones that are going to be the, you know the the, the best uh, put forward um, the positive sentiment uh, I don't know if you saw this in the Freeman report but it was super interesting they asked attendees what was the one word uh, that they think about when they think about in-person events and like the number one word was excited which is cool I mean like like by like by by a long shot too like this was the biggest and then it was like comfortable happy positive preferred uh, other words that were you know it, sprinkled in there like uh, a cautious and necessary uh, and uh, fine you know or uh, opportunities for improvement but um, I think that like having a renewed sense of energy around the potential of what events could be after they've taken away. Like I think there was a lot of people that predicted that once live events were taken away and virtual was introduced, that live events would suffer on the whole and that people would be uh, less likely to uh, attend them. And I think pretty much everything in the last five or six months has proved that that's not true, uh, that a lot of pre-pandemic numbers are up. Like this week, one of the most interesting numbers is the fact that U.S. travel is up 1% over 2019, which means we're past post-recovery in that area too. Um, so trending, you know, a lot of things are trending in the favor of, of live events currently. And uh, I think we just have to isolate the areas that are the most valuable and double down on those and, uh, you know, not necessarily cut out everything that we do, but uh, have a renewed sense of focus on the areas that people are, at least this new crop of people are more interested in uh, over the other elements. I'm curious doable. what everyone's I'm curious what everyone's first thought is like when you're like, all right, so my attendees are younger. Like what next? Like my first thought is like, oh, great. Now I can use QR codes and people will know what they are. Because totally. when I tried that <laughs> in, when I tried that in 2016 in experiential retail, it was a complete flop. So I'm like, well, QR codes now. But like what what pops up for you? Like, OK, everybody's younger. What can I do? I think there's a I lot of people say, use excuses, just blow those excuses out of the water. You know, like our yeah, our members too. don't do this. Our attendees don't do this. You know, like they they aren't with this. I think we can start like pointing to these numbers and saying like that's categorically untrue uh, and that you might be behind the times and you might be uh, using your past information to inform uh, current day decision making. But like I think it's mostly... Uh, a good fodder for blowing through some of these excuses. And I, again, I'm still pretty, pretty confident that most of the things that let's call it younger attendees want are things everybody wants. 
Uh, I just think that they matter now and that uh, we can and if we don't do them that we're behind versus you could get away with not doing them before because of, of uh, lowered expectations all around. I want to say, by the way, I think QR codes are in because every restaurant uses it for their menus now. Still, but like it, it, everywhere. It's crazy. <laughs> like I thought that would have been just like a, a pandemic Band-Aid and it's like they're not going anywhere at all. But but up to Ariana's point, like I think like that, that's immediately where mine kind of goes is like what things were confusing and that I was designing for the older 25 percent that now is like the older 5 percent. And I, you know, you know, what can I start to design for the larger group of of, of attendees in there? Um, that's where my mind goes. Um, I also think that, too, that like the the culture of of events are also going to change in a lot of ways, too. Right. Like not not just looking at like how people learn or how they adopt technology, but also too like, you know, like maybe an example of this is like willingness to hear cursing on stage and the acceptable level of this. Like I think millennials are far more attracted to a speaker like Gary Vaynerchuk than they are maybe a Seth Godin. Um, and so I think a lot of people that will change, I think some like larger just thinking broadly about it like it changes what kind of music that you're playing what kind of maybe jokes that you're making as part of your marketing um what's considered socially acceptable on stage versus not you know all these things like that i think also skew how we are going to plan our events too so i think about like the how how corporate events are also going to change i actually had the, this uh kind of a similar conversation uh, when i was at pharmaform doing my trends talk and spoiler alert, one of my trends is cannabis for this year and <laughs> i think i talked about that in our cannabis episode on this podcast but one of the things i talked about was just like you know this culture of acceptableness inside of can with cannabis is also changing because the uh, demographics getting younger too right like the, the idea that it's it's okay for this to be happening um, probably has a lot to do with the fact that the younger generation is also totally more cool with it than the older generation. And I think you see that in a lot of people who came up to me afterwards and were like, I'm not quite there yet. I don't accept it, blah, blah, blah. It skew, skews a lot older. But then the people who are like, yes, now how do I implement this, Will, are the people who are younger generation too. You know, well, the other thing that popped up for me right as you started talking was not only the cannabis conversation and sort of how we will celebrate in the future of events and what mm. that sort of like what what those rap parties will look like. But also uh, your crush the box, um, the, you know, Nick's uh, what was it? Blast your excuses <laughs> your and your crush the box is just that like this is a huge opportunity to just rethink everything, including like, do we need to do we need to do F and B? Can we just send everyone out? Like, I still am very attached to that idea. I love the idea. Just make them all go to lunch, suggest some great local restaurants. But I think that this is a huge opportunity to rethink everything. Can I throw out another? I got a random idea. Please. Um, I, so like I posted this in the community and I was talking about like I just got back from like a two like a week long trip in Death Valley and I was just like off grid and it was so incredible and I asked the question why do more event organizers plan events off grid or like in more remote camping and requiring at least maybe they're not setting up the tents and things like that but at least they're getting transported and yeah maybe they have to sh poop in a bucket instead of a nice toilet but I think there's a lot of attendees who are craving an outdoor experience. And I wonder too, that if 
because, and speaking as a millennial, because we're so inundated with technology, we crave outdoors even more. Like we almost like crave like this, like 180 from where we are right now, because we need the, the remote locations to disconnect and things like that. I wonder if this will also change people's acceptableness around, you know, what is really, you're almost going to have these two extremes, like really off grid camping like experiences or hyper connected in the middle of the city. And you have to have the fastest internet possible, um, sort of situations where I can remote work. Um, I don't know. I just, I'm thinking about that in a lot of ways too, like how this might also change what is acceptable. Cause I think if you asked our parents, uh, to like go on an, a camping experience, they'd be like, no, I don't need to like go camping to get away from my phone. I know how to just leave it in another room for three days and never text you back. I'm in whatever age is not interested in the bucket idea that you just suggested. So. <laughs> okay. Imagine there's, an, imagine there's like a nice bathroom, but you're still camping. Okay. Whatever. Sure, you know, there's sure. the varying degrees of all this. I mean, I'm not saying that like, that's not for everybody. Uh, you know, I just feel like that's, you know, there's a line for everyone based on their age. And I think I'm at the line where I'm like, I don't think I'm ever going to, you know, use a bucket for that. Uh, but you know, go, go at it. Coachella kids or or fire festival the new fans. composting toilets, though, living, you know, pretty off grid in Hawaii, I can speak to uh, the new composting toilets are very popular in certain areas around here. And you could pull that off at a glamping style event. You got to put glamping in the word for me because I don't camp like I don't sleep <laughs> on the ground, but like yeah. bring in some memory foam or a really nice hammock and I might be interested. Yeah. Well, hopefully awesome. we never have an, a bucket episode. Oh, no. <laughs> Are you willing to poop we in a bucket at an event episode? <laughs> restrooms, portable Johns, all of that. No, uh, I am not doing that episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I once had a Biffy, uh, Biffy piggy bank that uh, they dropped off after a festival I was doing. It was prominently displayed on my desk it was it was beautiful so we are gonna go ahead and wrap up from this conversation today what are your thoughts how do you think that the shift in demographics and ages of attendees at b2b SaaS or not b2b SaaS, b2b events uh, are gonna make shifts in your own event planning and design experience uh yeah Email us at eventbrew at helloendless.com with any comments, questions, or any recommendations for topics that we should discuss, or if you have any insights you want to drop uh, related to the conversation that we just had. And we will see you on the next episode. Bye. Thanks again for listening to Event Brew. Be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting app. Also, be sure to head over to eventbrew.com and leave us a comment about this week's episode, ask a follow-up question, or tell us what topics you want to hear covered. See you next time on Event Brew.